The Cactus Plant Flea Market Box has arrived at McDonald's. Order one and get a unique box with your choice of a Big Mac or 10-piece Chicken McNuggets and get fries, a drink, and one of four collectibles. At participating McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. When artist Yamandu Canosa knocks on Salvador Dali's door, what happens next? Enter the world of contemporary art in a new special exhibit. Now at the Dali Museum. You're listening to the Huddle Up Podcast with Chad Jensen and Zach Kelberman. Join Broncos Country's deep divers at milehighhuddle.com and sound off. And now it's time to drop some knowledge. Okay, we are live, but we got to let the screen breathe here just for a few seconds as we make sure all five of our streaming channels are online here with us. And we're good. Welcome in, everybody, to the Huddle Up podcast presented, as always, by Mile High Huddle, powered by Overtime Media. I'm your host, Chad Jensen, and with me, as always, my partner in crime, you know, you love. He's my fellow football priest as well. And, Zach, we've been exercising a lot of demons the last day or so, but he is Zach Kelberman. Zach, we are one day removed from the Broncos' bitter, bitter loss at home to the Chiefs. How are you feeling today, especially with the the news that the newly paid nose tackle, Mike Purcell, is done for the year with a Liz Frank foot injury? First of all, we've been exercising demons for two years, Chad, going way back. It's been a long time. Uh, Mike Purcell's injury, it sucks. It's, you know, so many injuries happen, you get desensitized to it when it comes to the Broncos. It's like, not. It's like okay, what else you got? Mike Purcell, good player, earned his contract, good run stuffer. He's hurt now out for the year. You know, lost Von Miller, lost Cortland Sutton. When you lose, lose those players, losing Mike Purcell is uh, not as uh, hurtful. But it's time for McTelvin Najim to put his big boy pants on, for sure. It's time for him to step up now. He was a draft pick. He is a rookie. He has to contribute. I also wouldn't be surprised to see Sylvester Williams come back and play nose tackle a little bit. Uh, maybe Darius Kilgo, but this is where they have a young player who has to step up in Najim. This is his time right now. Good opportunity. Yeah, and I I mean, I don't know that he's developed his NFL body enough quite yet to be that pivot guy at nose tackle, but you know, in, in sub packages, absolutely. And I'm with you as I wrote about this news today, Zach, passing it on to the great readers of milehighhuddle.com. I said, look, you cut Sylvester Williams. We knew that was a short-term rental, right? There was always a chance he could stay long, but we all knew that the plan with Sylvester Williams was it for, for it to be a short-term rental. And as I wrote today, I thought, you know, you got to get him back. This is a guy that, yeah, he's long in the tooth. His best days are clearly and obviously behind him. But he started at defensive tackle for the Denver Broncos on two different Super Bowl teams not that long ago. It might feel like ancient history at this point, especially, you know, with it being five seasons of water passing underneath that bridge. But, Zach, we also got some bad news in that the Broncos, who made the odd decision to waive cornerback uh, Devontae Bosby in the wake of A.J. Bouye coming back from injured reserve, which was Great news. It was great to get Bouye back, and I think he played well overall against the Chiefs. But they waved Bosby over the weekend to kind of make room, and the excuses and the and the and the um, buzz that I was picking up coming out of Dove Valley was that it was a roster math decision, Zach, based on special teams. Because you think to yourself, all right, this was your number three corner for the last two weeks. You just waved him. Why didn't you wave Devontae Harris or even a Saint Bassey for that matter? Why was it Bosby of all people in the in the the, you know, the uh, storyline was, well, you know, we 
he's not a special teams guy and we need bigger bodies at special teams. And then the, the Broncos go and allow an 102 yard kick return against the chiefs. And you go, yep. that strategy was an epic fail. And then he gets claimed today. Does Bosby by Vance Joseph's Arizona Cardinals off waivers. So kiss him. Goodbye. I, we didn't touch on his, him being waived. And I'm sorry for that because I don't know what's going on or what went on behind the scenes it had to have been something he was doing glaringly wrong that we weren't privy to because his play on the field always matched that of a starting caliber cornerback. But let's see. Let's recap the offseason Bosby had in Denver. They did not tender him. They resigned him for pennies cheaper. They cut him from the 53, put him on the practice squad, finally call him back up. He plays four games and then gets waived before the Broncos play the Kansas City Chiefs. And yet they keep players like Duke Dawson, uh, Devontae Harris. They they keep lesser corners on the roster, even though Bosby in stretches last year was the Broncos' best cornerback. Someone on the staff or in the front office has a bone to pick with Devontae Bosby. And you know what? I give Vance credit for this. He picked up a starting cornerback, I feel, for nothing. He's on the practice squad in Arizona right now. He'll be on the active roster. This is a roster move that the Broncos will regret in the future, even if incremental. I just don't understand it. I mean, I've had, I've heard some theories from people I've talked to close to the situation, and it's not even, you know, like inside info. It's straight up theories because everyone's about as mystified as we are when it comes to the whole Bosby situation and how he kind of flamed out with Vic Fangio and company. But basically, what it comes down to is that, you know, a little too timid as a tackler, a little lost some of his physical, not that he was ever the most physical corner because he obviously wasn't well before he had that neck injury in uh, week five last season that caused him to lose all feeling in his from below the neck for half an hour. Very scary injury, cervical spine injury that cost him the season, but that that kind of scared him and he ha- hasn't been as physical and not as, I don't know what what's a good word to, to physical, committed, you know, not quite as willing to mix it up, but then tape and watch him in his games that he's he was able to appear in this year for the Broncos, I didn't really pick up on that in terms of on the field. Now, as you say, behind closed doors and in practice in the meeting rooms, we don't know exactly how you know that played out, but very disappointing because I, I really felt like Bosby was a guy who could offer something to this team. Devontae Harris ain't it. Duke Dawson, I mean, he's like, you're scraping the bottom of the barrel for a backup corner, backup safety. You lost a guy that actually has some talent here. I, it just doesn't make sense to me that you wouldn't keep him on the roster when look at Devontae Bosby's last play in Denver, Chad. It was breaking up the fourth down Cam Newton pass against the Patriots. He's involved in, in the game. He's involved making plays. It's a lot like Demarcus Walker. Every time he's on the field, he seems to be around the football. Yet, for whatever reason, I don't know if it's Donatel, Fangio, Elway, someone in the Broncos hierarchy just has a you-know-what for these kind of players, a raging you-know-what for some players, and Bosby was, was one of them. I'm usually not crying over spilled milk, a player uh, going to another team or getting poached midseason. This is one guy. It'd be like the Broncos losing Tim Patrick, that I would just I would hate this, if only because he makes your team better when he's on the field. He's a good player who always showed well in Denver, and I don't understand the way they treated him this offseason. Guys, there is a lot to get to today as we sift through the aftermath of the Broncos' fourth loss of the season, 43-16 to the Kansas City Chiefs. And, of course, the 10th straight loss to the Chiefs. We're going to get to all that. We're going to get to your questions. We see quite a few Super Chats stacked up, and we'll get to what's on your mind here in just a few minutes. First, though, gang, we do have to take care of a few matters of business. This live stream podcast 
is brought to you by sportsbetting.com. Right now, sport, uh, gambling is legal in Colorado. And here's what makes sportsbetting.com a no-brainer for sports fans. Again, you get sharp odds, low juice. They have in-house bookmakers, which means they're not a third-party provider of odds. Reduced juice, best prices, hassle-free bonuses. You get 24-7 live customer support, and it's always a real person in the United States. Another added bonus is on social media, on Twitter, very responsive, always tweeting out interesting little nuggets and information that can help you as a better. But here's the kicker as it relates to sportsbetting.com. Right now, you can get a 100% risk-free week of sports betting up to $1,000. And it's not just one bet, it's all of your bets. You play for a week, and if your losses exceed your winnings, sportsbetting.com is going to cover you up to $1,000. And it's something that you can roll over one time. So head on over to sportsbetting.com slash milehighhuddle. That is sportsbetting.com slash milehighhuddle and capitalize on a risk-free week of sports betting up to $1,000. As you can see here in the share screen, it is a phenomenal opportunity. For those of you, you know, Zach, not everybody likes to play fantasy football. Not everybody likes to participate in, in betting. But as as we march forward in, in what is now, you know, the, the modern age, it's very much a part of the sports landscape. I mean, even the Denver Broncos have an official betting uh, partner and, and, yeah. and sponsor, if you will. So sportsbetting.com, head on over there, sportsbetting.com slash mile high huddle and capitalize on that opportunity. All right, a couple other really quick matters of business getting then we'll dive right back in. Make sure as this podcast and as mile high huddle continues to grow, we want to make sure you know how to connect with us on social media. And the best way to do that is on Twitter at huddle up pod. Also, at Mile High Huddle, if you follow those two accounts on Twitter, you're not going to miss anything as it relates to the podcast, programming, giveaways, announcements, or breaking Broncos news and analysis. And as you can see in the window here in the box, my partner, Zach Kelberman, at Kelberman NFL on Twitter, myself, at Chad and Jensen. Also, head on over to huddleuppod.com. It's a gentle reminder. And get your swag on if you're in a position to. Patronize the merch store, get a hat, get a t-shirt, get a hoodie as it's starting to cool off. And we got the snow and the colder temperatures, face mask, great for this time of year as well, and keeps you safe. Another way to support what we're doing here at Mile High Huddle. And if you're not in a position to do that, it's all good. All of you, whether you're with us live or listening after the fact, as an on-demand pod, can do these three things. You hear us talk about it every single episode, but subscribe, especially crucial on YouTube and Facebook. Like, especially crucial on Facebook and YouTube. And if you think Zach and I are doing a good job, share this video, share this podcast, share it out there, help us continue to grow and reach new like-minded Broncos fans just like you. And then last thing, as our Facebook audience just continues to skyrocket and grow, we want to make sure people understand how they can support us on Facebook. If you go to the page, facebook.com slash milehighhuddle, first and foremost, make sure you're following that page. But second, if you would like to become a supporter, there's a big blue button, you click that, you're in like Flynn, you're in the fold, and we have some great content coming down the pike specifically for our Facebook supporters. So shout out to you uh, out there on Facebook, all of our community, but especially our supporters on Facebook. We love you. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Find your next truck at Woodhouse Buick GMC. No matter where you're heading or what tasks need tackling, there's a premium and capable GMC truck that's perfect for you. Make a statement on the job site out on the town, or wherever life leads you in the powerful and distinctive Sierra 1500, or elevate your driving experience in the adventurous and innovative canyon. 
explore our inventory online at woodhousebuickgmc.com or visit our indoor showroom today woodhouse buick gmc we are professional grade not long ago everyone knew that you're either born a boy or girl not anymore the biden administration is pushing radical gender experiments on children changing their names clothes identities and bodies Joe Biden and his left-wing allies pushed boys to take estrogen to appear more feminine. They pushed girls to take testosterone so they grow facial hair. Biden and progressive leaders promote puberty blockers to keep kids from developing to normal men and women. These drugs can leave you sterile, infertile, impotent. Joe Biden and the new left even promote surgery on teens and young adults, removing breasts and genitals. They want boys in our daughters' bathrooms and sports teams. And now, the Biden administration is planning to issue new rules that would force doctors to prescribe dangerous drugs and worse. Tell Joe Biden and left-wing leaders across America, hands off our kids. Paid for by America First Legal. Listen up, Broncos country. Coors Hard Seltzer is not your average seltzer. Rooted in Coors' long history of sustainability, Their brand was inspired by a generation that wants to do good in the world that has a mission to restore America's rivers. Never before has it been so easy to make an impact and make a difference and do good in the world. Coors Hard Seltzer is launching the world's easiest volunteer program. Whatever you're doing, simply by cracking open a can of Coors Hard Seltzer, you're volunteering. Our waterways, guys, they are at risk. 80% of America's rivers are drying up. And through a partnership with Change the Course, Coors Hard Seltzer is helping to protect and restore America's rivers. Each 12-pack of Coors Hard Seltzer restores 500 gallons of fresh water to U.S. rivers. Wrap your brain around that. And the communities that depend on them, it's so important. The results? One billion, that's with a B gang, gallons of water restored to 16 river basins across the U.S., including the Colorado River. And that's just year one. And here's what's great about Coors Hard Seltzer. Four refreshing flavors, one cool cause. Enjoy naturally flavored black cherry, mango, lemon lime, and grapefruit. And the specs are in, gang. Coors Seltzer is 4.5% ABV and only 90 calories. Chad, I got to say, for last Sunday's slate of NFL games, I picked up a Coors Hard Seltzer and mango. Loved it. This week, I picked up a Coors Hard Seltzer and black cherry. Loved it even more. So, guys... Whether you want to support the cause or like the flavors, you won't be disappointed with a Coors Hard Seltzer. Amen. So join the world's easiest volunteer program by simply drinking Coors Hard Seltzer. You can volunteer to restore America's rivers. You buy Coors Hard Seltzer, you help restore 500 gallons of water into America's rivers. It is that simple. Visit CoorsSeltzer.com to find Coors Seltzer near you. That's CoorsSeltzer.com. For every 12-pack sold through 8-31-2021, Coors will purchase services from Change the Course to restore 500 gallons of fresh river water. Details at CoorsSeltzer.com. Celebrate responsibly, Coors Brewing Company, Fort Worth, Texas. All right, Zach, as we dive into some of the storylines and pick up the pieces here on the Aftermath episode coming out of Week 7, let's start with this super chat from Tom L. Greco, north of the 49th parallel up there in Canada. Appreciate you, Tom. He says, when we beat Houston last year, Drew Locke's footwork wasn't great, but he played great. I think just let him be Drew and not put too much on his plate. Your thoughts. Thanks, guys. Uh, your thoughts, guys. Thanks. Zach, you know, the big – and again, thank you, Tom. The big thing with, with Drew Locke that has spooked people right now is simply that 
He's looking more like the college version of Drew Locke, which was a clearly talented player that was just very always up and down, with the exception of maybe his junior year. Anyone that turned on the tape watched Drew Locke at Missouri. You could see the tools and the talent that this kid had, but the problem was in college, the consistency was always a problem. And the way he played in, in what was really the biggest game for the Broncos of the season, you know, I wouldn't say, well, yeah, showing regressive tendencies with his footwork, the way he's reading the field, staring down receivers, playing fast and loose with the ball, accuracy issues. A lot of that ties to mechanics. A lot of that ties to discipline. Not doing a good job, Zach, of pre-snap protection calls and just kind of reading what the defense is doing pre-snap. I think that's the biggest thing that has fans so spooked about Drew. Yeah, I actually got a question on Twitter today. Uh, Someone said, I need to know why Locke has regressed this season. And just to kind of paraphrase what I wrote back in response, I think it's premature to say Locke has regressed. He made rookie mistakes yesterday because he technically, when you look at it, he is a rookie. It's his ninth career starts. And if he was a traditional rookie, he would have had all 16 games. He's played in nine games in his career. He came back from injury a few weeks ago, played in the snow against the reigning world champs. And the other factors at play, it's not just Locke alone in this disaster. There's also Pat Shermer to blame. There's uh, injuries, poor situational coaching and play calling, an offensive line that's constantly in flux, injuries, new moving parts, and also a lack of training camp in a preseason. This is a young quarterback. Every young quarterback goes through his struggles. And I'll say the same thing I did yesterday. He was not good. He needs to be a lot better. I'm not making excuses. I'm not being an apologist. It's not going to cut it as a potential franchise quarterback. But you have to look at all the factors. It's not one or the other. There's multiple things at play here. He is not getting the coaching he needs and development he needs from his coaching staff. And the Broncos brought in a a supposed quarterback whisperer. Why isn't that quarterback whisperer and that guru helping Locke's footwork, helping Locke's reads? Why are the fundamentals of quarterbacking still a problem for Drew Locke when they brought in a new coaching staff specifically to fix those issues? You know, I think fans wouldn't be having such a hard time with this if it hadn't come against the Chiefs. And the flip side to that coin is I don't think Drew Locke melts down the way he melted down on Sunday if it was against any other team but the Chiefs. As I've talked about, and some fans hate me bringing this up, but You know, there is some kind of a mental obstacle there, some kind of an emotional monkey on Drew Locke's back when it comes to the Kansas City Chiefs. And obviously, we know the Chiefs are a big monkey on the Broncos' back as as an organization. But for Drew Locke, that is compounded by his personal history and ties. And, you know, the Freudian slip that comes out last week when he meets with the media on Wednesday, he brings up the whole hometown thing. He brings up the Chiefs and the fanhood and the family and being Darth Vader and all that. There's still something there. And so because it – his worst game as a pro, I think it's fair to say, was week seven against the Chiefs. Because it came against the Chiefs, and for other reasons too that we'll get into here today, I'm just not going to – for those who are jumping off the cliff and jumping so far to conclusions that they Have go at careening it. off the cliff, knock yourself out. I, uh, we're not going to go there with you. It's too early. And, guys, so many of you, I mean, you've been fans long enough to know how one game does not decide or make the career of any player, let alone a quarterback. And Drew Locke stood up at the podium after the game last night, Zach, and he said, look, I can be better. I will be better. And, I mean, that's me paraphrasing him. But I just think it's way too early to jump to conclusions. And this week, you know, it's another measuring stick. And you could argue that it's an even more meaningful litmus test week eight with Justin Herbert, whom Broncos fans, you know, they they got a little QB envy going right now with regard to Justin Herbert. It's been going on now for a better part of a month. 
Locke's going to go head-to-head with Herbert, two quarterbacks that were tied to John Elway over that two-year window in which Herbert kind of flirted with, am I going to come out? Now I'm going to stay for my senior year. Elway was known to have an interest in Herbert. Elway was known to have an interest in Locke. Didn't work out for Herbert to even have a shot at landing in Denver. It's going to be really interesting to see how these two quarterbacks play head-to-head, and if Locke can really bounce back from what was definitely his worst game as a pro. And, Zach, the only thing I'll say is, the silver lining here is with how bad he was in week seven, we're not excusing how bad he was. It was unacceptable. It was not good. There's only one way to go, and that's up. I think also the fan piling on has to do with his previous game. If those catches were made and those touchdown balls were not dropped, he would have had 300-plus yards and three touchdowns. And if he still had yesterday's stat line as it was, it wouldn't have been so stinging, I think, to the fan base. But you're coming off a game where he didn't throw a touchdown – then he was, you know, he didn't. He ran for a touchdown yesterday. It's just kind of too nondescript. And a lot of Broncos fans who were jumping off the cliff, and like you said, Chad, we're not going to be there underneath with a with a a rope or or a, some sort of landing spot for you. If you want to jump off the cliff, you want to give up on Drew Locke, that's your prerogative. We're not going to be the safety blanket for you guys. But it's so premature, and every young quarterback goes through these struggles. And if again, if he would throw for three hundred and had three touchdowns. You wouldn't have seen these people leaving the bandwagon. It's way too early. Even he said himself, he will be better. And I think if he wants to be motivated, he will show Broncos country because he sees it out there and hears it out there. All the Herbert comparisons. And you talk about, Chad, this Darth Vader, you know, uh, the Jedi, Buzz Lightyear. He's a young 20-something first starting quarterback, first time starting quarterback in the NFL. He's a young kid. I mean, let, let's let him have some fun out there, too. That's his personality. What's the first thing he did, Chad, when he scored yesterday? He did a little dance, and he kind of volleyed the ball with his teammates. He's having fun out there, and it comes with the territory. He will have um, better experiences by going through the experiences he went through yesterday. It will make him a better quarterback. And speaking personally, he's a lot like me in the sense. Last thing I'll say, I don't learn by someone telling me what to do. I'm a hands-on learner. He, I'm assuming he is the exact same way. He can have Pat Shermer tell him what to do. He can have Jeff Driscoll tell him what to do, Blake Bortles. But unless he's going out there, unless he's throwing the passes, unless he's throwing the interceptions, unless he's the one getting sacked, he will never benefit that way. So it's maddening. It's frustrating. But these are the lumps he has to take for him to blossom into a better quarterback. All it takes is patience. And there are ways the Broncos can help him. That and, and different strategic tasks yes. that the coaches can take in order to help him kind of climb out of that week seven hole. And we're going to get to that. We're going to talk about what Vic Fangio had to say about the passing game and kind of where the Broncos go from here with Drew Locke and Pat Shermer. First of all, I want to grab this question that came in from Derek Britt. His question as it relates to the defensive line, Mike Purcell, he says, with Mike Purcell out for the rest of the season, would you consider trading? for Quinn and Williams, excuse me, uh, and moving on from Darrell Casey in offseason. So first off, Derek, thank you for the question and for reaching out. As it relates to your answer, though, I, I went on record last week before Mike Purcell got hurt with the list, Frank, and said I would be all about investigating Quinn and Williams uh, if, if the price tag is a second-round pick. If it's anything more than that, you know, it would really depend. But, Zach, Darrell Casey – I don't know, man. I don't see he, – he wasn't playing well before he got hurt, and granted it was an extremely small sample size. It was week one and week two, and he was hurt basically through that game week two. I, I'm not sure – if I had to make the decision now, I'm probably moving on from Jarrell Casey, but I want to see how he heals up from this injury. 
I think he's a goner either way. He he really wasn't impressing. He didn't he didn't flash at all. It's not like he had a, a few sacks and and did, didn't do much after that. He had literally no quarterback hits, no sacks, no nothing. And he's a twelve million dollar uh, salary cap hit for next season. If you acquire Quinn Williams, though, you're taking on his rookie contract. I don't have over the cap on in front of me right now, but it would be almost comparable to uh, Gerald Casey's contract. It's one or the other. I don't. You need a nose tackle right now with Purcell going down. Not a defensive end. You have Draymond Jones. You have Shelby Harris. You're good there. Deshaun Williams. You need a pure nose tackle. They want to trade for one. That's that's their prerogative. I want to see McTelvin Ajim. I want to see the younger guys who they have in house already get some reps. You know, and that was one of, as we talk about winners and losers from the Week 7 game, and we'll get more into that as time allows on today's episode. Uh, But Draymond Jones, I mean, Demarcus Walker didn't quite make it into my winners column for Week 7 coming out of that game, but Draymond Jones absolutely did. And Demarcus Walker had himself a few games, a few plays as well, and I really liked his effort. From a pass rush perspective, those guys are going to help you push the pocket. You saw it against... Uh, Patrick Mahomes yesterday, but from an anchoring the defensive line, being that pivot in the middle, I'm not sure there's anyone currently on the Broncos roster that can just step in and replace what Purcell has been doing for this team. A G might be their best option to do that, but he's still so young. We'll see though. At this stage, as Zach said, the Broncos don't really have a whole a whole lot of other options besides going with the dudes on the roster, the horses they have now. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Find your next truck at Woodhouse Buick GMC. No matter where you're heading or what tasks need tackling, there's a premium and capable GMC truck that's perfect for you. Make a statement on the job site, out in the town, or wherever life leads you in the powerful and distinctive Sierra 1500. Or elevate your driving experience in the adventurous and innovative canyon. Explore our inventory online at WoodhouseBuickGMC.com or visit our indoor showroom today. Woodhouse Buick GMC. We are professional grade. Not long ago, everyone knew that you're either born a boy or girl. Not anymore. The Biden administration is pushing radical gender experiments on children, changing their names, clothes, identities, and bodies. Joe Biden and his left-wing allies pushed boys to take estrogen to appear more feminine. They pushed girls to take testosterone so they grow facial hair. Biden and progressive leaders promote puberty blockers to keep kids from developing to normal men and women. These drugs can leave you sterile, infertile, impotent. Joe Biden and the new left even promote surgery on teens and young adults, removing breasts and genitals. They want boys in our daughters' bathrooms and sports teams. And now, the Biden administration is planning to issue new rules that would force doctors to prescribe dangerous drugs and worse. Tell Joe Biden and left-wing leaders across America, hands off our kids. Paid for by America First Legal. Christian uh, Christian jumping in one of our Super Chat superstars. Really appreciate you, my friend. He says, do you think this season is just about developing Drew Locke and our young team rather than competing for championships right now? Zach, to answer Christian here, as you guys know, it's always we've we've said it's always been about developing Drew Locke 2020, but as as a as a glass half full, as an optimist, as a silver lining guy, I always maintain. And to this day, as I was coming out of the the Patriots game, in fact, beating the Patriots on the road, you know, I said, look, all things are possible when you have your quarterback. And during the offseason, I said, look, you know, yeah, you're going to, there's going to be some ups and downs with Drew Locke. There's going to be that learning curve. He's still figuring out the NFL. But I think this team, Zach, is talented enough to be able to win more than they lose while, while Drew Locke is figuring it out. 
And then the injury bug struck and really just took the wind out of this team. And all that being said, though, Zach, I still don't think just because they lost to the Chiefs at home in devastating fashion. And this was something Drew Locke talked about at the podium after the game that you just, you know, turn in your chips and say, all right, we're out of here and step up and away from the table. You keep going. And I think with 10 games left to go, think about this, wrap your brain around this, Zach, and then I'm serving this over to you. There are more games left to be played in this season than Drew Locke has started as a pro. So you're (laughs) going to get a lot more of a sample size and an evaluation and a feel on Drew Locke. That's a really good point. You you first for a second. Sorry about that. Uh, I think looking at the Broncos moves they made this offseason, looking at it realistically, I I think they expected to be playoff contenders. I don't know about title contenders. I think they were deluding themselves if they thought that. But based on the the Jerome Casey trade, the A.J. Boye trade, drafting Jerry Judy and K.J. Hamler back-to-back in rounds one and two, the Broncos were were in a a win-now mode, but having one eye down the road, one eye on the future, because the most important thing, and we've been saying this for a while now, It'd be great if they make the playoffs. It'd be great if they have a winning season. That's good for their own confidence and good for their own uh, their own relevancy in the NFL, the Broncos. But they have to know one way or the other if Drew Locke can be the guy. They didn't think these injuries were going to happen. They couldn't predict uh, this wild, unique offseason was going to happen the way it did. But they knew they had a young quarterback they want to give a shot to. No veterans uh, no band-aids, no understood guys like Joe Flacco, a young quarterback who they drafted who can be the next guy for 10 years, 12 years down the road. I think re- regardless, one way or the other, they wanted to know if Locke can be the guy. And I still think that's the question. Playoffs or not, by January 1st, they have to know, yes or no, can we go into 2021 with Locke under center, or do we have to start planning for the alternative? See, even that, I'm not quite ready to go to that point because in the offseason, I'm saying, look, you know, this is a guy that, I mean, basically, unless Drew Locke produces 10 games in the remaining season that were akin to the week seven performance, meltdown after meltdown, regression after regression, I mean, I still maintain that, look, you committed to Locke, you invested around Locke, give him his rookie contract. I'm not ready to jump off this kid quite yet. And there's still so much row left to hoe that it's it's a moot point. The Broncos are tied to this guy. And as we said in yesterday's gut reaction, you know, there is no Patrick Mahomes unicorn quarterback coming in to save the day. You know, the Broncos have to ride this out. They got to roll with the punches. And this is where your veteran savvy coaches on that side, Pat Shermer and Mike Shula, have to sing for their supper and earn the money they're making. This is where they need to be the difference between Drew Lock, you know, staving off any potential further regression from Drew Lock and turning this into a pattern and you know, moving him forward, Pip sticking their, their foot in the ground, so to speak, and going the opposite direction. Real quick, let's grab uh, Based Gase jumping in with a super chat. Thank you, my friend. That's a couple days in a row, a few days in a row, in fact. Thank you, my friend. Really becoming a superstar. He says 17 targets to tight ends. Vanette had as many catches as Judy, Jerry Judy. Our first two picks combined for six targets, less, more, uh, less, more home runs, less, more home runs. Feed Judy. Yeah, that is a fair point, Based Gase, for what it's worth. I mean, Jerry Judy, look, I marveled in a way. I, w- I, I gave some props, I, sh- I should say, is a better way of putting it, to Pat Shermer for figuring out a way to utilize the tight ends, 17 targets. Albert O, seven targets, caught all seven of them, led the Broncos in receiving in only his second game as a pro. But Zach, lost in the shuffle was Jerry Judy, who was basically ignored in the passing game. Because, like, the question uh... – posited it's always go routes it's always routes down the field 20 30 yards down the field nothing underneath and i said this on the halftime pod i said it last week i said it uh yesterday 
You have to get the ball in his hands and let him go to work with his footwork and his speed. Let him do the rest underneath high percentage passes to Jerry Judy and everyone. But that's Jack. We can argue about it. That's the coaching. That's the play calling. That's the situational management I'm talking about. It's not putting your quarterback in a rhythm. It's not getting your young rookie receiver, your first round pick who's had some confidence issues, more confidence. That is on coaching and no amount of familiarity or comfortability issues can solve that. That is all on Pat Shermer. Mundungus, the Broncos wizard, jumping in. Thank you for the support, my friend, a bona fide superstar. He says, I still believe Locke can be a good QB, but we have to stop making excuses for his bad play. The coaches aren't helping, but it's not all on them. And it's not all on them. Of course, it's not all on them. And that's that's the thing is you guys got to understand, if you're looking for a podcast or you know any kind of production that just is going to crucify Drew Locke, chew him up, spit him out, and say – you know, suck for or tank for Trevor, whatever. That's not this podcast, okay? It's 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 not rational. I'm sorry. I don't mean to be overly critical to, to you guys that feel that way, but you're jumping the gun. You're jumping the gun. That doesn't excuse Drew Locke's bad play. And as we said yesterday, and we're saying it again today, he was bad. It was not good. It was his worst game as a pro, and he knows he has to be better than that. But at this stage, as a young quarterback now entering, Zach, his 10th start as a pro, this is where the organization really needs to rally around him from the coaches to the players and give him the support, the direction that he needs. Let me just ask, this is kind of rhetorical, but what is an excuse that I'm making? I've, I've stared in the camera four times now and said he played bad yesterday. It's indefensible. It's unjustifiable. It has to be better. But what's an excuse? His ninth career start, that's a fact. Him missing Cortland Sutton, that's a fact. Him playing in the snow, that's a fact. Him having poor coaching, that's a fact. They're not excuses. You might differ with me. You might differ with Chad, but these are facts. These are not theories. These are not opinions. These are not bias. These are objective facts and the truth, Chad. You know, there's something that the football gods have some kind of and I'll be honest with you, I, I don't know exactly what that message is. But the fact that Drew Locke had never played in the snow before entering the NFL and his only two snow games now are against the juggernaut Chiefs, A, right, the world champions, and last year the future world champions, this year the defending world champions, B, against that, you know, that whole emotional thing of it being his old team. There's just something weird about that. And it's not an excuse for Drew Locke, but it's a, it, it all combines to be a factor. The bottom line to Mundungus' point on that is that Drew Locke, is a pro now, and he has to be able to overcome those type of weird little outlier situations and be that consistent force that can, you know, bridge the gap. He's he's got to be that guy instead of making, instead of reverting back to some of the old bad habits from Mizzou. Let's grab Mike Evans jumping in here, bona fide superstar, loving Thank my friend. friend. He says, "Do you think Vic Fangio should play a bigger role in influencing our yes. offensive game plan?" I do think he should. And that's a good segue here, Zach, to something he talked about today. I want to get your thoughts on this. Fangio was asked what Drew Locke and the passing offense has to do to improve moving forward, and here's what he said. Quote, I think as a team, we just need to fix our entire passing game. We just haven't thrown it very efficiently the last two weeks. That's an 11-man operation. That's us as coaches. We're all in it together, and we have to go work on that. It has to improve, no doubt about it. As the quarterback, he's the main focus, as always. But I think we all need to keep in mind that this is an 11-man operation, and us as coaches are involved, too. We have to make improvements there. There's no two ways about that, close quote. Zach, from a schematic perspective, 
there are so many things the Broncos can do. Not to, not to, you know, um, let me put it this way. There's so many things the Broncos can do to kind of grease the wheels and make things a easier for Drew Locke when it comes to the game plan, the, the actual scheme itself, and really hammer home to him. This is the biggest takeaway from, from week seven, if you're Drew Locke and I'm those coaches, is footwork and taking what the defense gives you. It doesn't always have to be the home run. And if Drew Locke can, can honor and, and be more disciplined to his technical foundation and he can just get not be greedy – and just be patient and take what the defense gives him. The, the passing offense is going to grow by leaps and bounds, and by and get you into the end zone when you get, or the red zone when you get to the red zone. You know that's where another foible that they're going to have to overcome when it comes to this passing game is, you know, they've really struggled in the red zone as a team so far this season. But the coaches can do more and they can do better. To Fangio's point, to improve this passing attack. All those words, and Fangio said nothing. He was like a politician. He didn't answer the question at all. He ducked around it saying, we have to get better and fix the passing game. Okay, let's do the magic wand on the passing game, and Eureka, it's fixed. No, he has to get involved, but I'm worried he doesn't have that capacity. It seems like he's up to his head in the head coaching aspects of the job, running the defense, the offense, and the specials. His defense is his baby. It will always be his baby, but he's it's on the head. This is what I was talking about yesterday when Bradley Chubb went off on his teammates on the bench. That should be the job of the head coach. Defensive-minded, offensive-minded, whatever. He is the head coach of the entire operation. It's on him to get on his players. I want to see more um, pr- you know, uh, production. I want to see more interaction is the word I'm looking for between Fangio, offense, defense, specials, and he doesn't do that. He stands there with the with the visor on. He needs a defroster in the snow. He's just very stationary, Chad. He's very very sedimentary. I want him to move around, get in people's faces, hold people accountable. He would garner the respect of his players if he went off on them versus him standing there and being passive. So I agree. He needs to be more involved. But whether he can be, he has that capacity to, I'm not sure. More crossers, more high-low, you know, simplify it a little bit for Drew Locke. Let him get his confidence back. You know, throw some slants for crying out loud. I know that they, the one they threw on Sunday ended up being a pick because it was slightly behind KJ Hamler, but that's a pass that he needs to catch 100 times out of 100. Pops up, gets picked off by Teran Matthew. Figure out how to get Jerry Judy more involved in the game. And just look at that one third down Judy picked up on Sunday in which it, the ball was thrown to the left sideline, short of the sticks. He makes a move on his guy, moves the chains, right? You need to start just having more of a focus. Yesterday, and I think there are a lot of compounding factors that add up to, to explain it, but it was just too slapdash. It was too off the cuff. It was too just reckless, I think, both from the coaching offensively, the, the passing attack in general, and from the quarterback play. And if they can hone that and focus it, I think the elements played a role as well, and I don't want to make it feel like it's an excuse, but it all factors in. It's all part of the picture, but it still boils down to the bottom line, Drew Locke, and his coaches need to do a better job. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Find your next truck at Woodhouse Buick GMC. No matter where you're heading or what tasks need tackling, there's a premium and capable GMC truck that's perfect for you. Make a statement on the job site, out on the town, or wherever life leads you in the powerful and distinctive Sierra 1500, or elevate your driving experience in the adventurous and innovative canyon. Explore our inventory online at WoodhouseBuickGMC.com or visit our indoor showroom today. Woodhouse Buick GMC, we are professional grade. Not long ago, everyone knew that you're either born a boy or girl. Not anymore. 
The Biden administration is pushing radical gender experiments on children, changing their names, clothes, identities, and bodies. Joe Biden and his left-wing allies pushed boys to take estrogen to appear more feminine. They pushed girls to take testosterone so they grow facial hair. Biden and progressive leaders promote puberty blockers to keep kids from developing to normal men and women. These drugs can leave you sterile, infertile, impotent. Joe Biden and the new left even promote surgery on teens and young adults, removing breasts and genitals. They want boys in our daughters' bathrooms and sports teams. And now, the Biden administration is planning to issue new rules that would force doctors to prescribe dangerous drugs and worse. Tell Joe Biden and left-wing leaders across America, hands off our kids. Paid for by America First Legal. Kenneth Booker wants a, uh, has a question here for Zach. Thanks for the super, my friend. Uh, as it relates to the Cowboys, who are suddenly just their quarterbacks are dropping like flies. He says, Zach, will the Cowboys make a call to Miami for Ryan Fitzpatrick? I can talk about this subject for hours. I'll keep it fairly brief. I don't see it happening. Uh, Andy Dalton now is in concussion protocol. They only have left as a seventh-round rookie quarterback who is not much upside. I just don't see Jerry doing that, and it doesn't matter. It's funny because, Chad, when I'm covering the Cowboys, it reminds me of the Broncos. A lot of Cowboys fans want a new quarterback. They're missing four starting offensive linemen. Again, it won't matter who they put back there if you can't protect the guy. So I think Jerry Jones would much sooner call for an offensive lineman or three or a defender or maybe six of them. The defense and the offensive line are in bad, bad shape. I think Dalton comes back soon. I don't see Fitzpatrick even leaving Miami. I don't even see that happening. Casey Nickel jumping in with a super chat. Appreciate that generosity and support, my friend. And make sure you connect with us on Twitter so we can shout you out after the show. He says, in the event, which is 4-12 and or 5-11, and do you guys think Fangio stays if Eric Bieniemy is available? Does Denver make a push for him? Zach, I still maintain that this is a team that's pretty well tied into a two-year plan, the Elway Fangio ticket, yep. as it were. Yep. And I don't think, barring just week after week of those kind of losses you saw on Sunday, I don't think Fangio's going anywhere. Even if you finish five and twelve, or or, or five and 12, four and twelve, or five and eleven. Yeah, the only way I could see it being a possibility is if they finish 2-14, and 3-13, and 13, and they get blown out of every game and the locker room turns on Vic Fangio. That's the only way. Uh, other than that, I got this question on Twitter last night, including uh, the enemy uh, being asked about him. I don't see Fangio getting fired. He'll have all of 2020. Next year's a different story, but he'll go into the season next year as the Broncos coach. And Chad, Bienemy is a good offensive mind, but two points. You have to wonder how much of that is Andy Reid, and also will the Broncos really want to gamble on another first-time rookie head coach? I know it'll be an offensive mind. I just think they'll go for a guy with more experience. Who that will be at the time, I do not know. It's not going to happen next coaching cycle, though. Fangio is here to stay for at least one more season. Agreed. Stu Meat jumping in. Appreciate the super chat and support, Stu. He says, play calling is mind-blowing at times. We were running the ball well, then decided to do a flea flicker. Keep up the great work, MHH, aloha. Excuse me, appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, the flea flicker was a complete head-scratcher. And, you know, that's that's the type of play that you run when everything's going your way, you know. And I I can understand the devil's advocate argument that, hey, man, we were being – productive on the ground you know we were setting them up that was a good opportunity but that's the type of play you install when you're up you know 30 or that you run when you're up you know 31 14 against the Houston Texans in week 14 (laughs) last year and you're playing with house money Broncos were not playing with house money 
it was a Murphy's Law type of day. And by that point in the game, that was evident. We knew that that was the case. And unfortunately, that was just part and parcel of, again, you don't take the onus off of Drew Locke for his share of the blame, but that was part and parcel of, and a good example of how the play calling of Pat Shermer is just unacceptable. If you're Vic Fangio, I mean, Fangio's a lot more aggressive as a defensive-minded than as is traditional and conventional in terms of he likes being aggressive in certain situations. He likes pushing the ball down the field. But there has to be balance. There has to be reason. There has to be some kind of check and balance to to just all-out helter-skelter. Yesterday just felt like, Zach, a game plan completely out of control. It was like he just pressed a random button on Madden and picked a random play. And, you know, you, you talk about Scangarello last year. Part of the reason he was fired is he got way too cute at times. And I'll be the first one to admit it. The, the tight end, the, the jet sweeps and the tight end tosses. But let me ask you a question. If that was too cute, what do you call a fourth and one tight end shovel? What do you call a flea flicker in the snow? What do you call throwing a deep ball after his quarterback throws an interception? Is that not getting too cute? So, again, I, maybe you guys will disagree with me. I don't see, Chad. I know you do for sure. I just don't see now, this many games in, especially after yesterday, what Shermer brings to the table, either in play calling or quarterback development. That's Kangarello did not accomplish last year in a very limited sample size with Drew Locke. As you guys know, and then we'll grab Jess here, as you guys know, I was a lot more favorable of the decision, not so much to, to fire Scangarello, but to hire Pat Shermer. That Pat Shermer was the reason, basically, they ended up making the decision to, to fire Scangarello. And I was like, look, you know, look at his, his coaching resume. He's a former AP assistant coach of the year, two-time head coach. You know, he's got a track record working with quarterbacks. He's got a track record of getting more out of the talent that he has. So far, it's looked like a, a big mistake moving on from Skangs because I think, and this wasn't necessarily something we missed on this show in terms of its importance. We talked often, for those of you who've been with us listening for a long time, of for everything Skangs might have kind of left on the table as a play caller, as he was kind of learning as a first-time play caller, or for, uh, first-year play caller, he more than made up for through his teacher, uh, his teaching wherewithal, his teaching acumen. He was just... He did great connecting with Drew Locke, and I think Scangarello did deserves a lot of the credit for how quickly Locke developed from that third preseason game last year where he injured his thumb to when fans got to see him again in week 13. He looked like an entirely different quarterback and then, of course, you know, went 4-1 and one as a rookie. Skangs deserved a lot of credit for that in terms of being the teacher and the mentor and the guy to guide, you know, kind of the, the guiding hand for Drew Locke, and that might be, Zach, something that, you know, I speaking for myself, I might have underappreciated in terms of its importance going into 2020. Well, let me say this. Scangarello was not without fault. He was very green last year, and I think he got a raw deal from Denver, but I, I could see why the Broncos were impulsively wanting to move on. But let me just say this. If we're comparing Scangarello, who was a first-time you know, a rookie coordinator, to Pat Shermer, who has been around the block as a head coach twice now, been a coordinator for many, many years in different stops, if we're comparing them and the answer isn't obviously Pat Shermer's better, that's a problem. He needs to be no doubt better than Scangarello. And to this point, it's looking like Scangarello was better than Pat Shermer was. That's the problem. Yeah. Jess jumping in. Appreciate you, my friend, on Super Chat. He says, on to the next game, Denver. Let's go champ. Amen. It's time to turn the page and uh, move on because you got another litmus test coming. You got Justin Herbert and the Chargers who have a little momentum now getting their his first win as a yeah. pro. And, you know, it's AFC West. It's We're, we're going to be talking a lot more about the game, obviously. Let's grab Ren99 as well jumping in. Thank you, Ren. Thank you. 
All the Drew Locke haters need to either stop or find a new team. There's no need for the hating of a quarterback we drafted in the second round and only played nine games. I agree that the panic and the overreaction has been, I mean, Zach and I, we love what we do. We love getting on on here with, with you guys every single night. But when we hopped off last night's gut reaction, it was raw emotion. That's what the gut reactions are supposed to be. They're supposed to be, you know, off the cuff, hard hitting, raw, you know, close to the bone, the whole nine yards. But we kind of felt bruised and battered coming out of that one. And not yeah. we're not saying that like take pity on us. Like it was rough going. Like it was, it was, you know, fans were are close to the brink. And that was yesterday. I think a lot of people kind of bounced back and you know, they've gotten some perspective and 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 they're sharing that same perspective as as Jess has, you know, turned the page. But there's been way too much knee jerk and especially way too many hot takes and you know, um absolutism as it relates to Drew Love. This is the fickle nature, though. I mean, now the Broncos fans, some Broncos fans are clamoring that the Broncos should have drafted Josh Allen in 2018. When he was coming out, those same fans were comparing him to Paxton Lynch, calling him Lynch 2.0. The same fans who dump on Locke when he plays poorly are the same ones who become his hype man and hype men when he plays well. And, Ren, you make a lot of solid points. You bring logic to the table. But logic has no place for the Internet, for social media. People will always be outraged. You will never change some fan's mind who always want the next best thing. They're hanging on that monkey bar and always trying to get to the next one. They're never satisfied with where they are or where they're going at that pace. Zeus, McPeak jumping in from the top rope. Love you, my friend. Bonafide superstar. MHH, Mount Rushmore. First face etched up there. Really appreciate you, my friend. He says, what is up with special teams? Must be the worst in the NFL each week. Two yeah, words. I mean, I don't know each week, but it's just, man, in a game where, you know, the offense was shooting itself in the foot and the defense was, you know, the, the little Dutch boy with their finger in the dike trying to keep this thing from exploding, then special teams gives up a 102-yard kick return for a score. You know, that's just happened too often. Since, since since Tom McMahon has arrived as the special teams coordinator. And Zach, you say, well, it's football, you know, it's there. Sometimes the other they get paid too, the other team, and sometimes they're gonna, you know, have a have a day or have a nice play. And there are outliers, but it's happened too much. And Tom McMahon, I mean, I don't know what the rationale is inside Dove Valley, but at this point, you gotta believe, Zach, that his his uh, cachet has run into the negative with the coaching. Very much so. And what what just dawned on me is what the Broncos did with Brock Olivo, they did with Scangarello. They fired a young first-time coordinator and hired a veteran who's supposed to be better, and they were worse or lateral moves in both cases. Tom McMahon, under his watch, the Broncos have gotten worse. McMahon has gotten gotten worse since he's been around. He's had a good season this year, but he's regressed to it in a sense. Uh, The punting has been terrible, as most Broncos fans know. They can't cover kicks. They can't cover punts. They don't do anything overly well. There's two words to answer that question, and it's Tom McMahon. I said it all last season. I said it all this offseason. He should have been fired when Scangarello was fired. I hope this offseason is finally the time he gets his pink slip. He's a bad coordinator. And what's crazy about McMahon is he didn't have that reputation when he was hired, but he just has not been good in Denver. David Bingaman jumping in with a question or a point here, actually, for for both Zach and I. He says, Troy Evan, talking about Bosby, said it was his special teams and freelancing, I assume, on defense. He wasn't covering or abandoning uh, uh, scheme assignments, exposing other secondary players. He did get lucky a few times. And then David says, it's just what I heard. 
And yeah, I mean, I've, I've heard that too, that obviously there was, there was something about special teams and he wasn't a contributor on special teams or enough of a solid contributor that the likes of Devonte Harris and the likes of, you know, saying Bassey and Duke Dawson, you know, ended up making sticking around and they moved on from Bosby. But I still think it was a bad decision because he has talent. He's a good fit for the scheme. And I don't recall, I'm trying to think and guys, if, if some of you might be screaming at your phones right now, but I'm trying to think over the last three or four games leading up to week seven, when Bosby was actually involved in playing that third corner role, I'm trying to think of glaring obvious plays in which he was a factor for, you know, a big gash play or, you know, Nothing's coming to mind. And if I'm misremembering or can't bring it to mind, correct me. Yeah, the last image I have of Bosby is him him being around that fourth down breakup to win the game against the Patriots. I, and, and special teams, the onus there, it's such an overused, tired coaching uh, excuse for cutting a player. Would you ever see Aqib Tlaib or Chris Harris Jr. on special teams? If you have a starting caliber cornerback, you play that cornerback and you keep – Players like Duke Dawson, Devontae Harris, worst corners, Bassey even, over a guy who looked great last year, who looked good this season, and you cut him before the Kansas City Chiefs game. So I, I don't like the way they handled Devontae Bosby. I don't like those excuses. He can't play specials. I never saw him freelance. I've heard the tackling. He, he wasn't the biggest fan of it, but he made plays on the football. He made plays in coverage. That was his number one job responsibility. Why they parted with that, I will never understand nor justify. Cody Potter jumping in, one of our Super Chat superstars. Thank you, my friend. He says, terrible game yesterday. Our defense looked good. The season isn't over yet. A lot of football left. We have a stretch of easier opponents. Hashtag believe in three. Yeah, I mean, the next few games, it kind of lightens up a little bit on the Denver Broncos. And, you know, but the bottom line is it's the NFL, man. And all it's, there's a reason the cliche any given Sunday exists. And, you know, the Broncos just have to figure it out. They got to they gotta get on the same page offensively. You know, I do read more into what Fangio was saying in that comment about it takes all 11 and it takes the coaches because he limited the, the, how, how we need to improve the passing game and how bad the passing game has been. He limited that to the last two games. And what are the last two games? That's when Drew Locke came back. So he's definitely trying to send a message not only to Drew Locke, but to the coaches that, look, these last two weeks, you finally got – we got our quarterback – back and it hasn't been good enough we all need to do a better job and I don't know going back to the question about you know how I think it was from Mike how Vic Fangio can be more involved in the offensive game planning it's not his forte and I think that was one of the factors that led to the firing of gangs and the and the draw to to uh, Shermer was that Fangio wants to be able to just be a head coach and focus on the defense and basically have like a sub head coach you know like a one right. uh, b coach in the offense so that he can just focus on what's on his plate over here but zach to your point he's gonna have to step in and even if it's not from an x's and o's perspective it has to be from a philosophical from a priority uh, perspective and say look let's boil this down let's simplify this Let's make this easier on Drew Locke. Find your next truck at Woodhouse Buick GMC. No matter where you're heading or what tasks need tackling, there's a premium and capable GMC truck that's perfect for you. Make a statement on the job site, out in the town, or wherever life leads you in the powerful and distinctive Sierra 1500. Or elevate your driving experience in the adventurous and innovative canyon. Explore our inventory online at WoodhouseBuickGMC.com or visit our indoor showroom today. Woodhouse Buick GMC. We are professional grade. Not long ago, everyone knew that you're either born a boy or girl. 
Not anymore. The Biden administration is pushing radical gender experiments on children, changing their names, clothes, identities, and bodies. Joe Biden and his left-wing allies pushed boys to take estrogen to appear more feminine. They pushed girls to take testosterone so they grow facial hair. Biden and progressive leaders promote puberty blockers to keep kids from developing to normal men and women. These drugs can leave you sterile, infertile, impotent. Joe Biden and the new left even promote surgery on teens and young adults, removing breasts and genitals. They want boys in our daughters' bathrooms and sports teams. And now, the Biden administration is planning to issue new rules that would force doctors to prescribe dangerous drugs and worse. Tell Joe Biden and left-wing leaders across America, hands off our kids. Paid for by America First Legal. Let's make this easier on our skill, guys. It doesn't have to be rocket science, guys. It really doesn't. Let's make this easier. We're making it too hard on ourselves and on Drew. Well, look at Gary Kubiak. He was an offensive mind. He had Wade Phillips running the defense. But how often do we see Kubiak mix it up with the defensive players, getting in there and and being a head coach for the entire team? And it harkens back to what the question I posed a few pods ago. How much did Fangio really want this job? How much did Fangio either want to be a head coach or maybe deserve to be a head coach, a guy who was a coordinator for his entire career and was passed up multiple times before finally getting his chance? To answer the question more directly, though, there's a lot of hope left, and you Mentioned it perfectly, Chad. There's more games left in this season than Drew Locke has played in his career. That's a perfect way of putting it. And the defense played really well yesterday. It's not reflective of the score, but they held Mahomes to basically nothing except for one garbage time touchdown. They forced a bunch of field goals, were great on third down, great on the red zone. The defense played amazing ball yesterday. And I hate to play the if game. I don't really do that. But if the offense didn't shoot himself in the foot, didn't have the turnovers, they could be coached better. That game could have went a lot differently. And again, they were a few passes away from blowing out the Patriots, a few drop touchdown passes. This is a much better team than a lot of fans or media give them credit for. Not excusing them, not saying they're world beaters, but they have a lot more talent, I think, than the record indicates and a lot more to look forward to. It's the little things that separate talented teams like the Broncos, who should be competitive, even against a team like the Chiefs, from you know getting blown out and being competitive. It's those little things, and it leads to – you know, the pick six, Daniel Sorensen jumping the route and Drew Locke throwing early and throwing off his back foot as he's kind of fading, anticipating the pressure. You should have anticipated, in fact, pre-snap that pressure and known probably better where to go with the ball and not put it out in a position where you're getting picked off. It's the little things like that that, you know, it separates the good teams that are talented but can't find a way to, you know, play above 500 from the teams that go on and produce. And that really does come down to coaching. And that kind of let's let's grab Mark Langley here, and then I got one from from Facebook. I want to grab. Appreciate you, Mark. Thank you, Mark. Love you, buddy. Superstar. He says, "What's up, my guys? Bradley Chubb and Shelby Harris told Locke and the offensive line to pick your shi, you know what, up. Ha- uh, hashtag take it like a man, Drew. Hashtag huddle up pod. Hashtag football priest. Hashtag mha. Yeah, Thank to that man. point, and Drew Drew talked about it after the game yesterday too. For what it's worth. He took it like a man. He said, yeah, you know, I would like to – I like that they felt they, – they were fiery on the sideline and we can take it. You know, uh, as a quarterback, it's not really my thing to go around being that way per se, but if the leaders, these some of the veterans on the team, they're fired up, I, I can take it. We can take it. Maybe it needed to be said. 
a couple of things here. We talked about it on yesterday's pod. The reason this happened, they blew up and the steam kind of came off and out of the lid is because the defense this season, last season, 2017, 2018, 2016, 2015, they are tired of carrying the offense. They are tired of pulling their weight, the weight of the entire team, and the offense just messing everything up, turning the ball over and putting the defense in bad spots. My second point here. What they said on the sideline was true and appropriate, but that's a message that should have came from the coaching staff, either Shermer or Vic Fangio. You don't want the inmates running the asylum, so to speak. You don't want the players speaking out and them being the leaders. And it's on a very constructive way, you know, cursing at them, saying, you know, pick your game up. That should come from the coach. I want Fangio to get in there, take Locke by his helmet and be, listen, play better. You're going to be sat down, help this team win or else. That's what I want to see from Fangio. Zachary Mullins on Facebook. Appreciate the comment and your being on the stream, my friend, but you're dead wrong here. Nine starts, 99 starts. It don't matter, dude. Look at the way the NFL works now. If you ain't good now, you ain't good, period. He, speaking of Locke, of course, is terrible. He was terrible yesterday. Yeah, he was. He was bad yesterday. And Zachary, on one hand, I'll, I'll meet you part of the way there in that in the modern game, one thing that has changed over the last few decades in the league is we talked about this yesterday too, is that, you know, quarterbacks don't have as much time to kind of marinate and develop the, there's a lot more pressure on them to produce early on and NFL teams. There's a reason for that. NFL teams, they're a lot more willing nowadays to go right back to the drawing board, go right back to the well, as it were, if they're not getting the results that they want to see, if they make a decision early on, they can turn that page quick. You saw it with the Cardinals going from Josh Rosen straight to Kyler Murray. And Kyler Murray, you know, we, we heard this from fans a few times, you know, with all these young quarterbacks tearing it up in the league and Drew Locke, you know, Kyler Murray is one of those young quarterbacks who has gone, I wouldn't say straight out of the box, so to speak, to being a stud because, you know, the Cardinals weren't great last year. But he got all that experience. He kind of marinated and, and started 16 games. And you're seeing it pay dividends now. Drew Locke, you don't know what kind of player he's going to be with a full season's worth of games under his belt as a starter. I mean, look at Josh Allen as an example. Eight, nine games into, as a first-round pick, eight, nine games into his career with the Bills, Zach, nothing to write home about. And a lot of people were, like, already yawning and moving on to, you know, it's just the next busted Bills quarterback. And now he got – they stayed committed to him. They stayed patient. The Bills were one of those pop teams last year that kind of went from worst to first. And they're a factor, again, in 2020 – you got to give the kid time on task, and this type yes. of this type of irrationality. I'm sorry, Zach, but you're Zachary. You're just off base, dude. This kind of completely irrational impatience. It's one thing to be impatient coming out of five years of losing Broncos football, but to be completely irrational and saying that because of one bad game against the Chiefs, that there's no way he's going to be good. He's terrible. Turn the page. It's not constructive. It's not helpful, and it's simply not correct. That's right. You mentioned Kyler Murray. You mentioned Josh Allen. Let me throw two other names out there. Matt Stafford, his first eight starts were terrible. Fans were wanting to dump on him. He turned out to be a pretty good, if underrated, quarterback. Also, Lamar Jackson. I keep bringing it up, but it's the truth. In his first year, he could barely throw the football. They had him run a bunch. That was his thing. In his second year, he won MVP because he blossomed as a passer. He got the opportunity. But also, what's the one thing Lamar Jackson, uh, Kyler Murray, Josh Allen all have in common? Good coaching 
good development. He's in. They're all in good hands. Can you say the same thing about Drew Locke? Can you compare Cliff Kingsbury or Greg Roman to Pat Shermer? They're completely different classes right now. But to Chad's point, which I agree with, it's not just coaching. It's giving Locke the opportunity. Kyler Murray started 16 games last year. He wasn't anything like he is now. He really wasn't. He was a, he was okay. He was decent. But now he's playing like almost an MVP. That comes with not just coaching, but time and opportunity. Locke only got five games last year. Kyler Murray got six, 16. 16. That's, that's triple what Drew Locke got. Get him an opportunity. And by the end of the year, guys, if he starts every game from here on out and he's looking like he did against the Kansas City Chiefs, Chad and I will be the first ones to come on here and say, listen, he's, we might have to eat a little crow on him. He might not be what the Broncos thought he was going to be. But even then, that's still premature to say he needs at least a full starting season, but give him at least more than nine career starts. It's, it's beyond knee jerk, Chad. It's every, it's every joint and muscle and tendon in your body jerk, not just knee jerk. And this brings up Christy, the queen of MHH jumping in. Thank you. Brings up a good point. And I'm glad she did. She says last season, I saw Locke progress. I don't know if it is the QB coaching or just lack of practice. What do you guys think guys? It's disquieting to see drew lock play in a way that, that was regressive, right? He reverted back to old kind of habits from college that really got him into a lot of trouble at different points. And, and we're probably a lot of the reasons why there's so many NFL teams in the first round, including the Broncos didn't want to take him in the first round. However, to say that drew lock has not shown any progress to, to say that drew lock has not moved the needle at all since arriving as the number 42 overall pick in 2019 is categorically wrong. Because as Christy points out here, we, we did see Drew Locke progress last year. The quarterback Drew Locke was when he left the field with an injured thumb in week or a game three of the preseason compared to the guy he was when he stepped on the field in week 13 against the Chargers night and day. And, you know, he credited his development in large part to all the mental reps and, and how much time and commitment he put into you know, going through each practice twice a day with the VR and watching every practice in person and then going through the VR and really just trying to pour what he couldn't do physically because he was hurt into the mental aspect. And that that and Fangio talked about it, too, that that helped catapult him so far down the down the, the path, as it were. And Zach, we saw monumental progress from Drew Locke. And it was never perfect last year, even the game against Houston, where, you know, they dominated him out of the drop and Drew Locke set some records in his first career road start, went over 300 yards, three passing touchdowns. That was an incomplete performance because he kind of fizzled in the second half of that game. But it doesn't mean there haven't been not just signs, but clear and evident progress where fans are 100% justified to feel alarmed is the Broncos decided to make a fateful decision in changing the coordinator and changing the quarterback's coach on Drew Locke going into his second year with the expectation that it was going to catapult him forward, that it was going to be the the linchpin to him, you know, taking that quantum leap forward in year two. And so far, Zach, that has not come out in the wash. You know, he's not, he doesn't look at like the same composed, poised, still learning as he goes, but he last year he was poised, composed, playmaker. This year, the last – I would say the last, uh, you know, five quarters. I'll say of this this season, he just hasn't seemed to be as sharp. Yeah, not at all. And I agree with Christy. Last season, I did see progress. I mean, his first preseason game, he came out of that saying he didn't know how to run a huddle. 
He didn't know how to break down plays. He ran, he went in front of a mirror, Chad. Remember that? And, and started reciting plays to himself. That's growth for a quarterback. That's a very raw quarterback going on to win four games out of five opportunities. And it's not just one thing, though, Christy. It, it's not just his play. It's not just coaching. It's not just the offseason. It's all those factors. I'm not saying you do it, but so many of Broncos country wants to tie it one thing or the other. It has to be black or white. When, like in life, most things are gray. And this situation is very great. There's many factors at play as to why Locke didn't regress this year, but he didn't progress either. And it starts with coaching. It's on him. It's on the the opponents, the Broncos. Look at the defense and, and the teams the Broncos have faced out of the gates, Chad. You talk about murderers row of teams, except for the Jets. Those are all playoff contenders. That's not an easy situation. It's not an excuse. It's just a fact. So a lot of things go into it. It's not just one thing. It's a domino effect. When one falls, they all come tumbling down. And this is a great point here by Bison M. And as we get close to the one-hour point, Zach, we got to kind of rapid fire and through our yeah. remaining Super Chats and make sure we don't miss anybody here. But he, Bison says, Russell Wilson had a 38.7 passer rating <laughs> and a loss to San Fran in his seventh start. Does he suck? And, Zach, let me tell you this, too, and then I'm serving this over. You can look at the track record or the game logs of the John Elways of the world, the Peyton Mannings of the world. Go back and look at their first two seasons in the league. You're going to see a few – Really bad box score productive, you know, production. Just similar to what you saw from Drew Locke yesterday. And if at any point those the fans in that time had a say on what the coaches should do, neither one of those quarterbacks would have gone on to become the Hall of Famers that they were. Now, that's not me directly comparing Drew Locke to Peyton Manning or directly comparing him to John Elway or even to, as Bison says here, to Russell Wilson. It's just a fact that it's way too early, gang, to jump to conclusions. You got to pump the brakes a little bit. Take some deep breaths. It's going to be okay. And, uh, you know, contrarily, if how many quarterbacks started off their careers after 8-10 starts really good and went on to bust after that? You talk about Trevor Simeon in 2016. They started off 2-0. Was he a future Hall of Famer? You, you can't judge a quarterback by a handful of starts. You have to give them at least one full season. And again, guys, he's going into his only his 10th career start that spread across two years but it's still less than a full 16 game schedule just at least give him the rest of the year and then form your opinion save your pearl clutching for december john do you have naj altaf if if not i can grab him up he's he's got one here naj holden and flippant and chase if you have those ones that were directly after bison if not i can throw him in here there he is Appreciate you, Naj, and your generosity and support. It means a lot to us, my friend. He says, brothers, this was a tough one. Still feeling it. Five years of offensive ineptitude and really no improvement yet. Silver lining, Garrett Bowles, from most ridiculed by Broncos fans to the best at his position per PFF. Excellent point. You know, we've we've kind of flogged the Drew Locke thing here. Let's talk about Garrett Bowles, who, again, had himself a day emerged from week seven as the hands down highest graded, you know, you guys know how Zach and I feel about PFF grades, but still you don't need to go off of PFF grades to know he's been playing good. He's been a really good left tackle. Uh, Eric trickle a couple of weeks ago called him near elite. I'm saying he's playing at an elite level right now. And the indications are that it's, you know, it's not going anywhere anytime soon. And Zach, the one thing I'll say though, is it concerns me a little is obviously there was some kind of a mandate from NFL front office to the coaches or excuse me, to the officials that said, hey, let's be really, really um, conservative with our holding flags. There was no OTA. It was no preseason. And I wonder how much of that has factored into, you know, kind of bowls avoiding the, the guillotine, as it were, when it comes to, you know, the penalties. 
That's a really interesting point, but there's been no uh, personal foul penalties, no hands to the face penalties, no false starts for that I can really call top of my head for the most part. Um, I wanted to see Garrett Bowles be consistent before I labeled him, you know, new and improved and this elite left tackle. He's starting to be consistent and he's starting to kind of change my mind. I think the Broncos should start having conversations about maybe locking him down now as opposed to the future. But that's one guy, Chad. What is his motive this season? What drove him to, to turn his career around? Money. His contract it got taken away from him. My worry is he gets a contract and checks out. He goes back to being the old Garrett Bowles. But considering his play this year, Denver, and this is coming from one of the bigger Garrett Bowles critics on this planet, they have to start thinking about locking him down sooner than later. Holden Adams, appreciate that super chat, my friend. He says, just showing some love. Means Thank a you, lot. Holden. Thank you, Holden. And you're a longtime listener. You know we love you. Superstar. And speaking of superstars and longtime listeners as well, Flip It Booch. Appreciate you, my friend. Agreed. Said, too. I miss Gangarello. Might be yeah. premature. Yeah. I mean, we we wonder, you know, the teacher effect, the developer effect that the Broncos are missing out on in Skangs. But, you know, with Shermer and Shula's wherewithal and coaching pedigree, that should not even be in question right now. That's what's so frustrating. Yeah, and the thing with him, like I mentioned, he did get too cute last year, but I appreciated the creativity. And that's the one thing about Pat Shermer, that one of the bigger gripes is his predictability. It's the same script, series in and series out. And it says a lot when his best call of the season came yesterday on a design quarterback run with Drew Locke. I want to see more of that, more, less of the Broncos playing in a phone booth. More of the creativity, more of the outside-the-box thinking. That's what Skankarella brought to the table last year on top of being a teacher who the younger lot could relate to. You wonder, Pat Shermer is how old? In his 50s, I'm assuming? Mm-hmm. How much can he really connect with a young, hotshot, 20-something-year-old? T.C. McCartney and uh, Skankarella were much younger. Just a better connection, I feel like, on a personal level. Chase Wilder jumping in. Thank you, my friend. Bonafide superstar. He says the defense doesn't get enough credit. Chiefs were 0 for 8 on third down. It, that was a magnificent achievement. It, you know, it's yeah. it, moral moral victories. We, we've had too many of those the last five years, but that was an achievement. How long has it been since someone did that to them? If only we had an average offense. Well said, my friend. And the defense does deserve a lot of credit for how hard they played yesterday. Jeff C., jumping in, appreciate you, my dog. He says, Mike Shanahan should take over football ops. But well, we all know that ain't happening, right? Not so long as Joe Ellis is anywhere near the purse strings and the and the uh, decision as it relates to the Denver Broncos. But, you know, we're always going to wonder what could have been with regard to the Broncos and the Shanahans. Do they, you know, instead of hiring Vance Joseph, maybe they should have hired Kyle. We've already been down that road. And then when Elway had the gut instinct to – fire Vance Joseph at the end of 2017 and go with Shanahan. But yeah, that's, we just know that's never going to happen. My friend, and real quick, John, before you throw the next one on, I want to grab this from Richie Rich. He says, when I look at our offense, I'm not seeing motion. I'd like to know why in addition, and maybe it's just me. I saw Brett, even on his one uh, play, adjust protections and move a guy. Does Drew do that? And the reason I want to bring that up, great question, Rich, and great observations. We're not seeing that enough from Drew. Drew comes out of the huddle, gets the play call, and not only are you not seeing him read the defense or or show that he's reading the defense pre-snap, making the right protection call, seeing where the pressure is coming from, recognizing pre-snap where it's coming from, but whatever the, the route concept is on the given play, he's not going through the progression, and he seems to be entering every single snap with his mind made up pre-snap where he's going with the ball. Now, 
you should have a priority on every single route concept, right? That's why they call it a hot route. That's why when the coordinator calls it in, you know where you should be looking first, your first read, your hot route, et cetera. But Drew Locke is, it's almost like he's, he's just trying to force it. And this goes back to, you know, yes, coaching, but from Drew, things that Drew can control, even if he is coached by pure incompetence the rest of this season, the things Drew can control is on a given play, Zach, take what the defense yes. gives you. All right. If you see two safeties over the top, you know what? Probably not good idea to throw it vertical. All right. If it, look for underneath, look for the scene. If you see one single high safety, all right. Now that's when you go. All right. Let me see what what the how the corners are playing my uh, my boundary receivers, and maybe this is where I'm going to take my shot if my if my guy can win. Otherwise, Zach, you he's just got to take what the defense has given him, and part of that I think is him doing a better job pre-snap to recognize what the defense is doing. I agree with everything you said. Uh, I don't know who needs to hear this, though, but Brett Rippon wouldn't have won that game. Blake no. Bortles wouldn't have won that game. Jeff Driscoll wouldn't have won that game. That was a coaching failure on the part of Pat Shermer to dial up the plays that he dialed up. Doesn't exonerate Locke. Once again, I'm saying it for the hundredth time. Chad brought out the great points. He has to learn to take things underneath. His footwork, getting rid of the football, those are all mistakes that fall on Locke. But it really wouldn't have mattered what quarterback on the Broncos roster he would have played yesterday. The result would have been the same. Justin Jarvis jumping in. And again, guys, we got to kind of wrap it through, uh, rapid fire through these remaining supers. Appreciate you, JJ. Thank you. He says, uh, Troy Aikman, Steve Young, Warren Moon, Dan Fouts, Bart Starr, Benny Testaverde, Archie Manning. Three quarterbacks that went 3-12 and 12 or worse to start their careers. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Seven quarterbacks that went 3-12 and 12 is uh, – I think what Justin's saying here to start their careers, learn from history or you're doomed to repeat it. Well, I'm not sure exactly what he's trying to say there actually with that final sentence there, Zach, but you're better in interpretation than I. I think he means and correct me if I'm wrong, Justin, that you have to give quarterbacks time. You can't judge them based on their, on their early career records. So I agree with the comment and the sentiment, give lock time and you never know what he can blossom into. Jay Fig, Vids jumping in again. Appreciate you, Jay Fig. Locke looked better under Skangs last year. He did. He looked last year, and this goes back to what Christy brought up. We did see progress from Drew Locke. And by the time you did see him enter the lineup as the starter late in the season, he played with a lot more composure and poise and awareness. And even his pocket feel was way better. And I don't think he was any farther along the path in, in terms of reading the defense and even pre-snap recognition with pressure and, you know, protections and all that. But just from, just from a, I'm not going to press, even against the Chiefs in that first snow game, week 15 last year, nowhere near the skitterish pressing, just fish out of water version of Drew Locke that we saw in week seven. So it is alarming, Zach, that we've seen that this year and we haven't seen that same kind of level of poise but then again you know week one against Tennessee I think he played well enough to win that game if his receivers don't let him down on the four-minute drill if his defense can get a stop on the final possession Drew Locke played well in week one then he gets hurt you're always going to wonder regardless of how this season shakes out I know we're getting long and I'm 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 going on a tangent here but we're always going to wonder how this season would have shaken out if he doesn't get hurt in week two, how much that affects his momentum, how much we know, obviously, that it impacted the coaches because they've had to go from whatever they had drawn up with the truncated offseason with Drew, they had to go completely off script with, you know, first Jeff Driscoll and then Brett Rippon, and now they're back with Drew, and obviously they don't know which way's up. This was the 
harsh reminder. This was the reality check, if you will, that they have got to simplify things. Drew Locke, you know, it was great to see him going vertical and throwing dimes in that uh, Patriots game, Zach. But the coaches really need to say, look, we got to dial this back. We got to play within what Drew does best. We got to play within what our players do best around us and really give him the best chance to succeed. And it can be done. It really can. The same thing happened last year with Rich, though. I mean, he went through three quarterbacks, or at least two others, before stumbling on Drew Locke. And the same thing is happening with Shermer. He he locked and Driscoll, then Rippin, now back to Locke. Why is he getting an excuse, whereas Skangrello never got that same courtesy? So, again, I'll say, if we're comparing those two coordinators and there's not an instant you know, your thought and answer isn't instantly Pat Shermer. That's an indictment on him. He should be no doubt about it better than a first-year coordinator. Fair point there. Base Gase, again, thank you, my friend. Under Fangio, the Broncos have probably fielded the worst offensive teams I have ever seen. Elway gave Fangio his wishes with bringing in Shermer, and it's backfired. They're also wasting our rookie wide receivers. I mean, it was pretty bad with Flacco. I'll grant you that, Base Gase. I'm not sure... It was all that much worse than the 2017 offense that the the Broncos had under Vance Joseph in his first year. 2018 was about as fair to middling and average, just below average offense with Case Keenum. Thank God you had Phillip Lindsay that year to provide some spark. But the point on wasting the rookie wide receivers is not lost on us. You know, it's great to to say, hey, look, we've got the the tight end horses to really, you know, distribute the ball and and make some plays here. But you got to figure out how to get Jerry Judy involved specifically and KJ Hamler where you can. Yeah, and and it's it's nice to say we have the number fifteen overall pick on our offense. It's nice to say we have Jerry Judy, but if the ball's not in his hands, then what's the point? It's like having a Ferrari and never driving it. Get him some confidence, slants, crossers, something underneath in routes. It's the most. Uh, basic, fundamental, elementary football plays they should run with Jerry Judy. Not everything has to be down the field, and yet that's exactly why it falls on coaching as well. Pat Shermer is not just failing Drew Locke. He's failing the entire offense, including the rookie receivers. All right, one or two more, and then we got to dip out from Gary Mahal jumping in. Thank you, Gary. Thank you, Appreciate Gary. you. He says, long-time listener, first time catching you all live. Ah, well, thank you, Gary. We really do appreciate the support, my friend, and Thank you for being that longtime dedicated listener. It means a lot to us. It says, keep up the good work. We will get back on track this week against the Chargers. Go Broncos. And Zach, as we go on to the next super here, and then we'll dip on out of here, how important does week eight against the Chargers and Justin Herbert become with the context and complexion of that week seven loss? Well, important in the sense of playoffs or Locke's development or fan morale. I mean, different, you know, different situations have different outcomes. I think for the fan base, at the very least, even if the Broncos lose this game, which I think they'll win, I think they'll beat the Chargers, even if they lose, they want to see Locke go toe-to-toe with Justin Herbert. A lot of Broncos fans now want him like they want Josh Allen. I think it would quell a lot of the uncertainty in the Broncos fan base if Locke looked comparable or better, preferably, than Justin Herbert. I think the Broncos win this game, though, and any victory... You know, winning cures all. It's not just a victory. It's not just a victory. It's not just a cliche. It's really the truth. You get a victory, and it will, it can start a whole chain reaction of confidence and team development. I just hope for Drew Locke. Here's my biggest concern right now. Aside from, I've already told you what I hope I can see. What I hope to see him improve in terms of you know his mechanics and the pre-snap stuff and decision making. But what I worry is that Drew Locke lets what happened in week seven snowball. That's my biggest fear because you, yeah. you've seen it happen over the years with really talented quarterbacks allowing things to get out of control when that thundercloud just 
you know, it just doesn't leave over their head, right? It just follows them around wherever they go. But I honestly think Drew Locke is savvy enough and has enough between the airs, you know, metal, M-E-T-T-L-E, and enough football character and the swag to shrug it off and move on. And especially if he gets the right tutelage and direction from his coaches right now, this is clutch key moment. This is the watershed moment. This is where you got to turn the ship around. And if Shermer and Shula can do that and really help Drew Locke bounce back from this, I'm with Zach. I think the Chargers are obviously very beatable team. This is a young franchise rebuilding with a newly drafted quarterback. They got plenty of foibles, all right? And with how well this defense is playing, if Drew Locke can come out and just play solid, composed yes. football, this team can win at home. Eddie Vasquez against the Chargers jumping in. Thanks, my friend. He says, sorry Thank I missed you, most of it. Love y'all. We love you too, Eddie. And it's better late than never, my dog. And I'm sure you will go in and uh, listen to, to what you missed. Muhammad jumping in, one of our longtime listeners and superstars. Love you, buddy. Thank you, Muhammad. I am late to the party. Hashtag rock stars. All right, guys. If we did not get to your question or get to your point, you know, we love you. And I wish we had more time in the I wish we had all the time in the world to just sit here and take every single point, every single question. But uh, it's just not the way it shakes out. But we are grateful to each and every one of you for spending some time with us here tonight. Uh, Cody Potter jumping in. Appreciate you one last Thank time. You, we are on to the L.A. Chargers. Yep. All we can say after yesterday. That's it. Turn the page. Don't make more out of it than it is. But at the same time, you know, it's, it's a wake-up call for Shermer. It's a wake-up call for Locke. It's a wake-up call for Shula. Turn the ship around. There's still so much time to do that. And – you know, this is a good get-right opportunity for Locke and the entire team, Zach. This is not some, you know, juggernaut coming in. This is a team still trying to figure out and hone its own identity, just like the Broncos. I said yesterday, take tonight, feel bad for yourselves, be mad, you know, feel sad, but get over it starting Monday. Turn your attention to the Chargers. A lot of football left, and to your previous point, if last week against Kansas City was the Broncos' litmus test, this week is Drew Locke's litmus test. And I will always be in his corner. I will always... Um, encourage him because I know he will not cower. He will not fail. He will not crumble. He is mentally strong, Chad. And we saw it last year after the Kansas City game in the snow. What did he do the next week? Came out and beat a division rival to end the season. I expect the same performance and outcome this week. And not only that, real quick, sorry, I know we're late, but the first game coming out of Kansas City was actually that Detroit game, if you guys can think back. And Uh, it didn't look good to start, right? Locke and the offense were kind of off and – I think there was a turnover early, but he bounced back pretty quick, I think, starting in the second quarter. And by the time that game was over, I mean, the Broncos won it handily. And, of course, it was the Lions, and they were a hapless product at that point. But it was good to see Drew Locke, you know, weather the storm. And then, as Zach said, come back week 17, beat a division rival. So, guys, keep your chin up, all right? If we can impart any message here as we bounce on out for this evening, keep your chin up. Don't jump to conclusions. Even if you're worried about Drew Locke, let the season play out. Enjoy Broncos football while it's still here, and just consider the alternative. Brett Rippon, Jeff Driscoll, Blake Bortles, is that what I see right now? No, it's not. It's Drew Locke, and it was a bad game. Put it behind you. Exercise those demons, and let's move on. All right, guys, follow the podcast on Twitter, at HuddleUpPod, also at MileHighHuddle. And whatever you do, follow my partner on Twitter, Zach Kelberman, at Kelberman NFL, as you can see here on screen, and myself at Chad and Jensen. Shout out to our producer, John Cronenberg at John K MHH on Twitter. You're going to want to follow him when you can as well. 
And uh, we love you guys. Keep your chin up. Mile high salute to the Super Chat superstars and Facebook supporters. We love you guys. And again, thank you to each and every one of you for spending some time with us here tonight. We're off tomorrow, but we'll be back in the saddle Wednesday, 6 p.m. Mountain, 8 p.m. Eastern. Don't miss building the Broncos, though. Tomorrow night, same time, 6 p.m. Mountain, 8 p.m. Eastern. For Zach Kelberman. Zach, have a great uh, start to your week, my friend. Yes, sir. You as well. I'm Chad Jensen. We'll see you guys. Zach and I will see you Wednesday night. You've been listening to the Huddle Up Podcast. Join Broncos Country's deep divers at milehighhuddle.com to keep the conversation going. Not long ago, everyone knew that you're either born a boy or girl. Not anymore. The Biden administration is pushing radical gender experiments on children, changing their names, clothes, identities, and bodies. Joe Biden and his left-wing allies pushed boys to take estrogen to appear more feminine. They pushed girls to take testosterone so they grow facial hair. Biden and progressive leaders promote puberty blockers to keep kids from developing to normal men and women. These drugs can leave you sterile, infertile, impotent. Joe Biden and the new left even promote surgery on teens and young adults, removing breasts and genitals. They want boys in our daughters' bathrooms and sports teams. And now, the Biden administration is planning to issue new rules that would force doctors to prescribe dangerous drugs and worse. Tell Joe Biden and left-wing leaders across America, hands off our kids. Paid for by America First Legal. Not long ago, everyone knew that you're either born a boy or girl. Not anymore. The Biden administration is pushing radical gender experiments on children, changing their names, clothes, identities, and bodies. Joe Biden and his left-wing allies pushed boys to take estrogen to appear more feminine. They pushed girls to take testosterone so they grow facial hair. Biden and progressive leaders promote puberty blockers to keep kids from developing to normal men and women. These drugs can leave you sterile, infertile, impotent. Joe Biden and the new left even promote surgery on teens and young adults, removing breasts and genitals. They want boys in our daughters' bathrooms and sports teams. And now, the Biden administration is planning to issue new rules that would force doctors to prescribe dangerous drugs and worse. Tell Joe Biden and left-wing leaders across America, hands off our kids. Paid for by America First Legal.